Hi guys, I hope you're all well. It's so nice we're finally entering summer and things are looking up, I'm happy to say. I've got a fabulous guest today. She's a dear friend. She's one of our great actresses on stage and screen and TV. She's also one of the funniest ladies I've ever known. And I love her lots. And she's about to open in a new play called Constellations. And it is the wonderful Zoe Wanamaker. Zoe, how are you? I don't know yet. I really don't know yet. <laughs> you tell me. Now, you, you I know me. I know because we spoke the other day that you're actually camping out in, in the West End because you're rehearsing a new play. Yes, well, it's not new, but it's a it's a it's a play that was done a while back upstairs at the Royal Court with uh, Sally Hawkins and oh, um, Rafe Spool. Oh yeah, and um, and then it was done again in in on Broadway with um, Ruth Wilson and Jake Gyllenhaal. It's a, it's a two hander, and it's um, it's only seventy five minutes, but it's an extraordinary. Um, it's written by Nick Payne. Um, and who I did a play with called Elegy at the Donmar, which was also about something slightly scientific. And this is really about, it's about parallel universes and okay. quantum mechanics. And Oh, also, right up my street. Is it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know so, what quantum mechanics mean. Well, exactly. I mean, but that's... Is it, the, is it about relationships as well? Yes, it's also about that. And it's also, well, it's very difficult to describe. It's about if we lived in parallel universes. So we could have different different uh, lives going on all at the same time. So imagine rolling a dice uh, six thousand times. I mean, it's the same idea that you could have. We'd, if there were, was one life that we had, there would be it would be some somewhat predictable. But if there were a parallel lives, you could have different scenarios going on all the time. And so it's it's quite complicated to learn because it jumps in time and jumps in. Space, so it's 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 too complicated to to talk about. What's it called? What's it's it called Constellations. Okay, so are you are you actually in rehearsal? I'm about to start rehearsals as of next week. Ooh. That's what I thought I might. <laughs> um, uh, but it's also very cleverly done because uh, it's a sort of celebration of, of the theatre, really, in opening it up. I and was just going to ask you that is it, is this going to be one of the first plays that opens up? Yeah, so it's it's got four couples. He's decided to do it with four different couples. Mm -hmm. So there's a gay couple, a mixed race couple, um, an old Parsons couple like me and Peter Capaldi, <laughs> and um, and then it's got uh, Sheila Atim and Ivana Jeremiah who start who kick it off, and then Omari so Douglas. You, is it like in rep the four yeah, couples? Yeah. In, that's brilliant. Well, two couples in rep, and then another two couples in rep. So yeah, that's, yeah, that's there. what I mean. Yeah. When does when does it open? I start in the theatre 21st of June yeah. and then Peter and I finish on the 24th, but the whole of the other uh, actors take over that after that. So it'll be in rep with that. Then it's in rep with um, Omari Douglas and Russell Tovey. So you do the 21st of June to the 24th of July. Okay. And wh where's it, where's it going to be? At the Vaudeville Theatre because mm -hmm. the Donmar is having uh work done on it so that we could that they can't work in the theatre there and so. are they going to do socially distanced audience yeah. and yeah. that's oh, you know 
keeping everything crossed because it this needs to happen now, doesn't it? It does. It does because I think people are people are desperate. And that's that rave that happened last week. I think it was last week. Uh-huh. A, a sort of controlled rave, which was something like six thousand people. It it sounded wonderful, and the joy that came out of that was just uh, phenomenal. Because people just well, and also being in London again and the West End being open. It's 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 like Christmas. People are running around with shopping bags and oh. as if as if, as if it's as if they've been let out. It's quite. I mad. know. You know. I th- I think now that we I've had both my jabs. Have you have you had yours? I'm waiting for my second, which it should okay. happen soon. Yeah. Before but I start, I think because so many have had that now, and um, it, there is a normality that feels like it's coming back into our lives. Mm. I hope. <laughs> yes. Have you well, found this last year really difficult? No. Well, only in the sense that, I mean, I've been, uh, we started, I started work on something called Britannia, which is uh, the third series, started uh, in February of last year. And then we locked down in March. And so uh, we were lucky enough to have a house in the country and a little cottage in the country. And we went there and I went back when I could to have a haircut. And then my house in London was flooded in June. I know, you poor thing. I mean, but really flooded, right? Really flooded from top oh. to bottom. So, uh, so we can't live there. So I've got 600 items of clothing in storage. Oh. Um, so <laughs> um, so uh, and we've been waiting now for them to actually do something about it. So uh, I think the work will start in a couple of weeks. So, oh, good luck. But when, when we get back in. So in the way, I've been were on lockdown and then I went back to work on Britannia in September when we were shooting outside all of the time uh, and it was the worst winter ever. <laughs> yeah. And, but, so I've been going backwards and forwards to home. Where do, they, where do they shoot it? Well, all around, well, everywhere really. Um, we were mainly around Marlow and that area mm-hmm. in a, on a disused uh, airfield called Bovington. And also various other woods around there. So it's been, it was miserable. Mud, wet, snow, ice, rain. Uh, And then the last shot I did, last shot was in February and it was at 10 o'clock at night and I had to do one shot and it was minus 10. (laughs) Oh, my God. And Britannia's about the Romans invading Britain, right? Yes, it's the, it's the, it's loosely based on the second invasion of the Romans in 43 AD. And they, yeah, there you go. Okay. And then it's written by Jez and Tom Butterworth. Oh, Jez, okay, yeah. Uh, right, so it's mad. <laughs> it's uh, mad, rude, bloody, a uh, lot of swearing, a lot of uh, violence and a lot of mysticism. So because we've got Mackenzie Crook playing a druid, he's chief druid, so you Brilliant. go from there. <laughs> Isn't that on Sky Atlantic or something? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Sky. Yeah. Mm. Sky. Mm. Brilliant. God, I don't envy you shooting in that weather, though. <laughs> You've also been doing um, Shadow and Bone, which launched very recently, didn't it? Yeah. It was uh, 23rd of April it started. And that's on Netflix, right? That's Netflix. And that was that I just, I just finished that in January of the uh, previous year. Uh, t- oh, so, it was shot that long ago. Yeah, in Budapest. So oh, we were wow. filming in Budapest. Oh, so you got that in before the COVID hit. Yeah, yeah. That was a bit of luck, wasn't it? Yeah. 
It sounds fantastic. I, I, when I, I haven't played any yet, but I'm going to. Well, I don't come until episode four, so you can Oh, okay, relax, I can know. skip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'll probably watch it from the beginning because then you get into the story. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It, wasn't it based on um, some really big selling fantasy books? Lee Barduga? Barduga? Yeah, Lee Barduga, yeah. Yeah. And she's wrote, she wrote a whole lot of, of these, these books and Netflix were very clever enough to actually buy the lot of them, but I don't know how many there are because... I'd, I'd never heard of it, but it was huge in America. Absolutely, it's big as bigger than Harry Potter, if that's imaginable. Wow. Um, and the, the, when they asked me to do it, I went onto a website and I found this girl who was a, a fan. She was saying, "I'm so excited! The Shadow and Bone is being cast. It's so exciting! It's bigger than Harry Potter." And it was, <laughs> I said, "What? I didn't know which world this came from, but it's it's a it, it's, so it's f- phenomenal for for young." Teenagers, I think they okay, love it. So, yeah, and, and 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 you play a, a teacher, is that right? I read. I play. I play um, <laughs> Are um, you a goodie or a baddie? I don't know. <laughs> I, think, I don't know. I play. I play somebody who has who has can summon light. That's that's all. Okay. So she's a um, yes. So so that's that's somebody. She te- she's a teacher of of kinds. And uh, so she's quite, they're all fantastical characters. Um, they come from some other worlds. It's, it's again, it's similar in a way uh, to Britannia because it's all about tribes, really, in the end. Mm. In, fundamentally. But in different, different it, well, time like us, and space. Which is what it is now. It's tribal. It is. Yeah, and, you're right. And so nothing's changed. <laughs> I know. Anyway, I didn't really, well, I probably did realise that you were actually born in New York. Yeah. Because I, I I mean, I know your dad, I knew your dad was American, Mm -hmm. lovely Sam Wanamaker, and uh, and your mum was Canadian, yeah? Well, she was born in Canada, but then she she went to Chicago where she met my dad, so, and then they got married. So I'm assumed she was an American. She's got American, she had an American passport, so. Okie doke. So, uh, you know, she was part of that whole era, which dad was part of, which was um, born from Russian refugees. Mm-hmm. So people running from the Cossacks and the pogroms and coming to America as fast as they could get there. Uh, my dad's parents went to Chicago and my mother's parents were in, I think, Toronto. I can't remember, but then moved down to Chicago. Down. Yeah. But you were really little when you moved to London, weren't you? I was you? three. I was oh, three. Oh, so you don't remember? I don't know. I don't remember. Not really. But I've always felt alien. <laughs> <laughs> it, which, whichever country I'm in. So it's quite interesting. I mean, if I'm but in New York. You've got dual nationality, presumably, which I is I do brilliant. now. Yes, I do yeah. now. When I married Gorn, because it, it thought it would be easier for me to have a British passport yeah. than rather go to the foreign office. Yeah. Did it cause problems, you know, with jobs because you had an American passport or didn't that ever occur? Never, I mean, it, you're, you're such part of the British acting royalty <laughs> that I can't believe they've ever, they'd have ever stop you. I'm <laughs> a lady-in-waiting at the moment. I, still, <laughs> lady I don't think I'm a royalty. Um, oh, I think you are. I think you, you are. Well, um, <laughs> I've seen you on stage a lot and you're no. brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so it, never occurred to me, it just occurred to me when... Um, the American passport I kept all the time because I was donned as a resident alien for a long time. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> and and then 
actually, when I got given a, a CBE. Um, Congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, my dad had, had got one and he had to go to the foreign office to get his because he was an American. So okay. my husband thought it would be better if I went to meet the Queen instead. And so, did, did you get your honour from the Queen? Yes, I did. Uh, yeah, so that was nice. That was fun. It's a lovely day, isn't it? It's amazing. It's too funny. It's extraordinary. I was so nervous. Were you nervous? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah. I wore flat shoes because I was so frightened I'd fall. <laughs> <laughs> so nervous so I, I, I dress myself from the feet up because mm. <laughs> I thought if I wear high heels because you know you have to walk backwards don't you when you when you they yeah. told well I, I I had Prince Charles um I was told you know you talk to them and then he put his hand out and then you have to walk backwards and and bob but you so can thought, do that in high heels, I'm terrible in high heels. Oh, but come on. You dance not, so much. I know, but no, I wore, I wore me, me lovely brogues. I can't remember what I wore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember looking on because um, Emma Thompson had got a, yes. a, a couple, either a year or two years before me, and, and I saw she had a brilliant trouser suit on with sneakers, and I thought, how brilliant I'm going to do. So I, I kind of upped it a little bit to brogues. Mine Very were nice. Very posh brogues. I felt like Fred Astaire. Exactly. That's the main <laughs> in thing. Me, in me brogues. That's good. So, um, now, is it your dad came to England? Was that because of the McCarthy? It was like a witch hunt, wasn't it, really? Yes, well, it was. It was the uh, – Senator McCarthy was, was um, decided that he was going to uh, – get rid of communisms and communists and this was after the war uh saying that it was the red peril and uh so it was the un-american activities uh who uh, and black and started to blacklist particularly artists and uh filmmakers and writers and actors mm -hmm. who they thought <clears throat> most of them were probably jewish and a lot of them were refugees and uh and tried to and, and dad was uh tipped off, he knew he was going to be subpoenaed to go before the committee. And he got a job in England, a film job, mm -hmm. and decided to come over here. And mum packed up all our, our house in, in America, in New York, just outside New York. And we came over on the Queen Mary to join him ostensibly for holiday. And then we stayed. Okay. Uh, and so then this is what, uh, if you were, because we're born the same year. Good, yeah. year, good year, 1949. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this, you'd have been three. So this was what, 1952? Something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Mm -hmm. But you wouldn't have known much about it. Did you have elder um, siblings? I've got a, I had a bigger sister, my big sister, Abby, and she's six years older than me. And then okay. my younger sister, Jessica, was born in England. Okay. Um, and um, so, yeah, so it's Abby, myself. And we lived in various apartments in London, mainly around St. John's Wood, with most, most uh, blacklisted artists settled, or Chelsea. Oh, how interesting. Um, so they, he couldn't be subpoenaed from England? He was subpoenaed, but he refused to go. Oh, okay. But they, so couldn't, they, could, es they couldn't extradite. They couldn't, didn't no, have that power anyway. No, but they took away his passport. Did they? Yeah. Wow. And my mum's too, because my mum was an actress as well. Yeah, I know she was. So, so did did that mean he lost it forever? Well, he was stateless for 12 years. Wow. And he couldn't Yeah, I think when he when he got his passport back, he took 
Abby, my big sister, to Amsterdam to see if it worked. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, so it worked. So it then did. he then he went off and did a a film in in Argentina. So that he was so he was really that was a, a was a good thing for for him because when he came to this country, he then started because he was a he was the first method actor to come to this country, really. Yeah. Um, and because he, he and mum were at Lee Strasberg's school when it first started and his living room, Brilliant. Strasberg's living room. And, and then the blacklisting this thing happened, I think. And anyway, then dad decided to uh, open a theatre in Liverpool and got it changed, the name change of the theatre by Depot, um, by vote, by popular vote to the new Shakespeare. Um, and it used to be an old um, music hall theatre, which was oh. beautiful theatre. And he opened up the first repertory theatre in England. I think it was the beginning of the rep. Amazing. So there was a- he must he must have been really entrepreneurial. Well, you know, when, when we now know what he did, and he 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 was the one who, you know, got the globe. Decided the globe would happen. That must have taken forever, though. Must twenty seven years of his life. So um, that is unbelievable, mind you. I think I I saw um, a quote from him saying in England it's it's very hard to get things on the move because <laughs> it's yeah. like moving a barge around. It's America, like I think in America, I, I've I've noticed that over the years of working in both countries in America, it's often much easier for them to say yes about something. They'll give it a go. They get very excited and give it a bash, and if it works, it's brilliant. Yeah. Whereas in England, you know, oh. it's all no. It's easier to say no, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's too much effort. You know, it's too much. It's not always said. You know, the, the British are slow. It's yeah. uh, they can't True. they can't move quickly, and if they do, it's well, they don't. They just don't. It took him twenty seven years to pers- try and persuade people to put money into it because he didn't want government money because then he, oh, okay. you're then you're controlled. And also, the government wasn't interested in it, so uh, because it meant Weren't effort. They? No, well, oh, yeah. no. I mean, it's he couldn't understand. Are you, are you involved in the Globe now? Are you like an well, honorary? I'm an honorary. I'm an honorary because honorary. I, I really can't. I get too emotional. I get too subjective about things. I'm sure. I'm wanting things to happen, like Dad did. Um, like now, I want it now, and it takes forever to go through boards and meetings and discussions and I just can't, can't t- I don't have the patience I don't know how dad did 27 years I mean he had to win a battle with the council because they were putting their dustbins road sweepers dustbins on this on the site which was just empty it was an empty site mm-hmm. um and in front of the the bre- a brewery wall I mean that's really what it was dad was dad first came to this country to do a film in I think it was must have been in the late 40s um, and it was called Christ in Concrete renamed Give Us This Day where he was playing um, a, a crooked union man on a building mm-hmm. site and it couldn't be done in America because of the black because of the, the thought of uh, communism because it was really about union control and mm-hmm. stuff like that and, and um and then he, that's his first time to the, this country. Uh, and he couldn't understand why there was no replica of the globe on the globe site near enough where the globe was built. Um, and that puzzled him. And then in 
then he got this idea that there should be he should build it. <laughs> How brilliant! You know, it, it it took an American to do it, really, didn't it? Well, yeah. And when you look at the, the Stratford Memorial Theatre, was built by an American. Oh, Peabody was Peabody was an American. Oh, I didn't realise that. And so it's it's interesting how they, you know. Well, as I said earlier, they're much more entre- entrepreneurial than we are. Yeah, they can't understand why things the are. Board. Yeah, I know. It, it's weird. When you were a little girl, did you always know you wanted to act? Or did it happen later? Or did somebody no, I, kind of. I think it was since I was young. I mean, I was. Because my my parents were American, we went to see everything. Mm-hmm. You know, we, they took us to art galleries, concerts, and so we were induced to, to concerts and museums at a very early age. I remember Dad taking us at um, two o'clock in the afternoon on a Sunday before the Tate Gallery was closed, the, the Tate Britain, as it now is. Yeah. So we, we'd run to there. We'd see it just before closing time because he said, concentration is little, so we can just take in as much as we can where there'll be less people. Oh, that's clever. Which was great. <laughs> that's what we did. Um, so I was sort of introduced to the theatre being backstage and it's the, it was glamorous. And when Dad went to Stratford to do a fellow with uh, Paul Robeson, um, wow. which was a, a meeting of liberals, socialists, um, and they'd known each other during the blacklist period, um, it was a very exciting time for him and for us. But that's when the first... Dad used to row to rehearsal on the River Avon. Brilliant. <laughs> to, uh, brilliant. And, I, and I went good backstage with him. And the, the smell of, of the theatre, mm. it was really romantic in those days. So I just had a romantic idea of the theatre and thought it was all wonderful and looked so glamorous and looked so easy. Um, and it's not. It's not. <laughs> it's certainly not. No. no. But that was that was that's why we're here. I mean, Dad was followed. I found out much later, all the time in England, and even he when was he was followed, yeah, by whom? MI5. <gasps> oh my gosh! I didn't know that. My mum used to say, when they were in New York, they you, she said you don't know what it was like to fear the knock of the door or that your phone was tapped. This whole horrible uh, uh, witch hunt, as you said. Yeah, it was a witch hunt. Well, didn't a a few people went to jail, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Arthur Miller got away with it because he was married to Marilyn Monroe. That's right. Um, But a lot of careers were completely ruined, weren't they? People committed suicide. Yeah. People couldn't work. Uh, It's it's just uh, Zira Mostel, Leonard Bernstein. I mean, you could name them, you know, uh, of people that were were blacklisted and Larry Adler, who eventually came to this country, yeah. was blacklisted. Um, and so it goes, I mean, we knew a lot of, mum and dad knew a lot of people who had been blacklisted who were living in England. So they were people like that that we would hang out with on a Sunday. Amazing. Did Was there was there one particular play you saw and you thought, oh, I'd like to be up there? Or do you think it just was an amalgamation of? Everything. 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 I think so. I mean, I, you know, I got, got to see Peter Pan with <laughs> Julia Lockwood and oh. and and um, and also ballet. Uh, ballet was a, a passionate love of mine, and we saw lots of different artists and energies, and it was the whole thing. I can't really describe it. It was the dressing up, the pretending to be somebody else, 
um, I felt this is what, where I wanted to be. It felt, it, felt, it felt my place. But then, of course, you start to do it. <laughs> it's not so easy. It's a whole at night, isn't it? Yeah. it certainly isn't. But so you, you did your schooling. You went to, did you go to a boarding school or did you go to? I went to a co-educational progressive school in North London. And oh, okay. Then, and then I was sent off to a Quaker boarding school because... Uh, um, Quaker? Wow. Yeah, which was fascinating. Wow. Uh, that was nice. And then I went to, then what happened? Then I wanted to be an actor. Parents didn't want me to do that. So then I went to art school. I went to Hornsey College of Art for a year. Oh, brilliant. Um, but it's good art school. It was. But it was, that was the uh, 60s, early 60s. And the great thing about that time, actually, the pre-diploma year, as it's called, was called then, was uh, you could decide which direction in the arts you wanted to go. And I wanted to do fine art because you could always tell in the canteen who was doing design and who was doing fashion and who was doing industrial design and who was doing sculpture and who was doing painting because the painters looked a mess. <laughs> and, and the uh, industrial designers uh, or, and the fashion designers always had, if they wore pink and orange, you knew that was pink and orange. You know, without the artist, it was pink and orange, but you actually didn't see it. You know, you, it, the difference is that an industrial artist could actually see what, what kicks things off, you know, and, and artists hadn't done that yet. They weren't interested in that. It was great. It was fascinating. But um, then I went to do secretarial college for a year to try and do speed writing. Do you remember that? Get a good oh, job fast in three yeah, months. Yeah. It was in the tube. Short, sh- shorthand. It was shorthand. shorthand. It was basically... Um, Texting. It was basically texting, in the, as in the old days. Yeah, you, you lift right. out the vowels. Yeah, that's le- right. I didn't vowels. do it, but I remember. My, I remember my older sister, who's fifteen years older than me. Yeah, she did shorthand and typing and became a secretary. Oh, brilliant! Kind of, that's what you did in those days because she was that much older. Mm. So she became a secretary in the fifties. My God! But but, um, but but this speed writing was different because it wasn't such a long. You could do it in six in three months, apparently. Wow. It took me, took me six months, but I have dyslexia, so it was it took me much longer. <laughs> I couldn't read anything. I couldn't read my writing back. Do you have trouble learning, reading, and learning lines? Then yeah, I read too quickly. That's my problem. I read too oh, fast because okay. I want to get there. Um, um, so I miss <laughs> out the bit. I miss out the bits in between. So uh, I eventually, I'd always say, just to cover as one does. I think people tend to do that. They cover themselves before. We do this thing where we protect ourselves before somebody can attack us for something that we know that we've got. So I used to say, well, I'm really stupid. I don't, I'm dyslexic. Okay, yeah. I'm dyslexic. That was my cover. And then the Dyslexic Society were doing a campaign and they asked me if I would be part of it. And I said, well, I have to put my hand up and say, I've lied all these years. and not really. I just pretend. And they said, well, we'll give you a test anyway. Well, I was off the scale. <laughs> But it was a relief, you know, it's like knowing, you know, the, it's not your fault in a way. It's just happens. No, I say, and they're much more on top of it now, aren't they? I think oh, when yeah. you were at school, they probably didn't. They thought I was stupid. Of, people thought, yeah, but they didn't address it, did they at all? No, nobody so really knew. It's been quite scary. But then you did go to drama school. Was that after art school? Yeah. Uh, I did a year trying to be a, um, a, a secretary of some kind. Oh, Dic- yeah. <laughs> a dictaphone typist I was. My first job was actually out of out of speed writing was to correct computers' mistakes, which was 
which was oh, uh, how interesting. Which it wasn't. <laughs> I mean, it was it was basically pen pushing. You know, it was just oh, okay. Right. And then then I worked actually during that time. I then worked for a casting director called Miriam Brickman, who was the oh yeah the Dwyan of of uh, film and television. That's right. Film she was actually big casting lady, and she'd been our nanny when we first came to this country. Oh, how funny! And she, I became a girl Friday in, in her office. And she once, I'll tell you what she did. There was a day when she had to go and watch uh, filming in Brighton of Oh, What a Lovely War oh, yeah. with um, Ralph Richardson and John Gielgud, and it was directed by Richard Attenborough. And, mm-hmm. and um, she went off for the set and I, she said she threw me a script, which is called Isadora, and it was going to star Vanessa Redgrave. And they were looking for Vanessa's friend, Isadora's friend, and she threw me Spotlight, which was those huge books of photographs of all yep. the actors in the world, <laughs> in, in, in this country. And she said, read the script, go through Spotlight and look at the photographs and see who you think might be good as a Vanessa's friend. And I went through that. I did that all day. And she came back and she went through the Spotlight with a finger and pushed, pushed the papers across and said, oh, Zoe, no. Oh, no. What do you think? No. And then, oh, that photograph's very old. And I thought. As she went on, I thought, this is, if this how casting is done, I don't think I want to be an actor because it's what's the, what, what you look like, what fits. I just thought it was just too cruel. But in those days, you got to meet the director. So, it's, so I was there when they called actors in to wait and then meet the director. Now, of course, that doesn't happen. Everything is like this, Zoom or... Yeah. You know, you audition on, and that's an, an anathema to me. I can't understand. I've never understood auditioning in the first place. You just pluck something out of nowhere and just create something. Well, I think you you get you get some people who are very good at auditioning yeah. and aren't really very good <laughs> actors. Yeah, and vice versa, you get wonderful actors who actually can't audition, and because it just it's just too much. I don't know. I'm too. I'm too. I'm, I'm, I'm too dyslexic to do it. That's my excuse. Mm. In a way, I just cannot, it just doesn't mean anything to me unless I know what's going on, who the character is, where I am, where I've come from, what's going on. Yeah, and that takes exactly. a bit of time. And I can't do that if you're given a piece of paper. No, I agree. And to create something out of diddly shit. And usually the writing's awful. So you can't, can't get your head around it. The last audition I went up for, I said, look, my name is Zoe Wanamaker. I'm five foot three and a half. Um, I've got blue eyes and this is what I sound like. <laughs> that's it. You know, because that, you know, quite honestly. That's all they want. It's so unfair, really. Well, yes and no. It's, a bit, it's, it's what it is. It is yep. what it is. Um, Tough for young actor. I mean, because you've obviously got a huge body of work behind you now. And, and it's, you know, one of our top actresses and, God knows how many awards and nominations you've got. But, um, but it doesn't mean anything to young... Don't to you a, think? No, it doesn't. I mean, I remember my dad had to audition. Wow. Well, that long, long time ago. Um, it's also now, if you get hits on your Instagram, oh. that's another thing. That's terrifying, don't you think? Well, Actually, well, I, I was chatting to, I forget who it was now a young actress in LA and she'd gone up for some, you know, lead in something and she'd got down to the last two mm. and it actually ended up going to the other girl and the producers called her in to tell her and say, sorry, it's not going to work this time. But we actually think you are better for the role, but 
blah, blah, whatever her name was, has got a huge Instagram following. So we're going to go with her. And that is terrifying, I think, don't you? I think it's stupid. It's stupid. It's unbelievable. Yeah, well, anyway, that's, maybe that's That us. is the world we live in. So you then you ended up going to drama school, yeah? Yeah. Where did you go? The first drama school that, that said, uh, um, yes, uh, which was Central School of Speech and Drama. Oh, which not, was not a bad one. <laughs> well, it's not a bad one at all. Um, and it also had a very eclectic background, which I thought was good. Uh, and, uh, yeah, three years of that. But I was always questioning, why aren't we learning Stanislavski? Why aren't we learning Brecht? Why aren't we learning... At that time, there was a guy called Grotowski, which was mm-hmm. movement and stuff. And and then they just said, well, go read a book. And that's not good enough. You can't just... You can't pick something up from reading books. You've got to actually be there, feel it, do it, and experience it. So that was my frustration. But work is the, mo- the most uh, informative. I think just doing it is... Yeah, I agree. And that's why it's so frustrating for actors who can't do it and have to find something else. But then we have to have something else in us that must be able to do, put that energy into something else that we can put a roof over your head. So so what was your first kind of big break? Did, you joined the Royal Shakespeare Company f- for many years, didn't you? Yeah. I was tried. that the, like the first biggie? Well, when I was doing, because you had to get your, your full equity card, in order to do your, yeah. get your full equity card, you had to do 40 weeks in repertory, um, which I did. And that was the great education. And for me, I think I've managed to be in plays where I was much more integral to the play rather than standing around holding a, a spear. Or, mm-hmm. uh, and so I got to speak, which was great, and parts that were interesting. And then I did musicals, which, I've, which was... Uh, Fantastic. So, so for me, those were breaks, as you call them. They were just mm-hmm. stepping stones and also educational. They're just um, armory for knowledge. But or- incredible. I mean, Lee, Lee, who you know, I'm married to, but he always says that it's so sad that the repertory thing isn't happening anymore because he said it, he did it, and he said, you know, sometimes you you'd be doing one play and learning the next day because you're doing them what in every three weeks or something in rep yeah yeah and he said that the training involved is absolutely brilliant and one week you're playing a you know a, a, a scottish farmer and the next week you're playing an 80 year old you know he said yeah. it was just so such brilliant training but that and when ace you know his son yeah. ace, who also know came out of um drama school Lee said, have you written to all the reps? And mm. and Ace said, Dad, there's I think he said there's there's only three or four left. Left. I know. It's really I know. sad. So all that training ground has kind it's of gone. disappeared, doesn't it? Yes. But then we're into a completely different world now. We're into True. The, you know, it's now another explosion of energy, uh, in the sense that things have changed. Digit, you know, that this room is controlled digitally. <laughs> um, the tele, the the the, I, you know, the iPhone, the iPad, all these are new things yeah. for 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 us, and particularly for d- d- dyslexic as well as I'm numerically dyslexic as well. So I don't. So it's been, <laughs> that's hysterical. So it's been an, it's a, yeah. I just have to laugh about it now because it's you can't. You just have to. At least I know it, that I have dyslexia. It's not something that I'm poisoned with. Do you know? No. You deal with it. You got to. Yeah. yeah. 
but you have to throw up your hands and say, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> this is fine. Fine. Well, as I said before, I've seen you a few times on stage and you do know what you're doing. You're absolutely amazing. On stage. Get there in the end. Mm. You you always do. But also you've been in a Harry Potter film. Yes. What, was that fun? Oh, well, it was hysterical. It must have been so much fun. It was hysterical. It was hysterical because I knew most of the cast, didn't it? So it was it was like being in a in a rep. It was like being in rep. Um <laughs> And there was a great day, actually. There was a day when, because of the kids having to be schooled at a certain oh, yeah. time, so they had to change the, the kids um, to a new load of kids. And so there was a big, a great hall scene. And there, so Maggie Smith, myself, Alan Rickman, and mm. eventually um, Richard Harris were all in a, in a makeup area. And we'd gone through the papers, we'd gone through the chat, and then there was a, then there was a tea break, and then there was a lunch break. And then about four or five o'clock, I can't remember what time, there was a knock at the door, and the second AD comes in and says, I'm terribly sorry, ladies and gentlemen, but it's a wrap. And <laughs> Richard Harris was in a makeup chair reclining with his long beard tied up in bows all the way down and his wig also tied up in bows at the back. Um, so the hairs wouldn't get up his nose when he was sleeping. <laughs> and he, he, he opened his eyes and he leant up forward and he just started... What that? He started, and I started to laugh. <laughs> he said, what the fuck are you laughing at? I said, look, we've had a lovely day. We've had lots of gossip. We've done the crosswords. We've gone through the magazines and we're getting paid. What are you worried about? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that is what filming's about a lot of the time. It's yes. A lot yeah. of hanging around, a lot of long hours. Well, that's a big A lot thing. of days where you don't actually get anything. Mm, it's that's right. part of it. But that's, yes. But it was, uh, it was good. It was fun. We enjoyed ourselves. That was the main thing. And it was exciting. Also, it's, I read that when I was, I realised what was going on when my family, when we were rehearsing my family and that's Gabriel was playing that, the, yeah. Gabriel was the youngest, played the youngest, and he was reading these books and would never be where he he was needed in rehearsals. Uh, um, the book had to be put down, and so I started reading it. And I thought, what? And it's my kind of book. She mixes reality, the twentieth century, with ancient magic, and it's those fusions which I thought were brilliantly exciting and interesting, and. Uh, I found that fascinating because when I was a kid, that's all I used to read, actually, fairy stories. I loved them. Um, yeah, because that's what fantasy books really are an extension of, aren't they, really? Yeah, yeah. So I really appreciated what, what she'd done. She was, she's a phenomenal strength, I think. JK, I'm talking about JK Rowling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it was fun doing Harry Potter. It must have been. I yeah. Mean, it's yeah. like a dream to do Harry Potter, isn't it? <laughs> it's, also, it's, it's also, you know, the, the, because it was the first one, the props, the prop makers, do you know? I mean, they all came from ex-BBC prop makers. So the detail, so if, for instance, in the Great Hall room, we had to sing a song, we all had to sing, and they'd printed these incredible parchment, the songs on parchment paper, which were lined with gold on the outside and engraved in, in the inside. Oh. So they'd, they'd, they'd made hundreds of these. Oh. And also the letters that the owl brings to, to, to <laughs> Harry 
there were lots of those little letters and things like that. So Rickman and I started to nick some of them. <laughs> and and I know Rickman sold one in, in L.A. for something like $25,000 just for one letter. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and I can believe it. It was brilliant. Yeah. So, Well, I it, hope you've got some. Sit on them for a few years. Well, <laughs> Well, I've, most of them have gone. I've got a couple of T-shirts and a. I've got a stunt. I've got a stunt man's hat from Harry Potter because I did my own stunt. <laughs> <laughs> Never again. Never again. If you had a choice to do, if you could only do theatre or film, what would you do? Oh, God. Or is that too hard a question? Well, each one has a completely different discipline, doesn't it? I mean, yeah. with film, you have to get up at four in the morning and then have makeup put on you, which is not agreeable to my face anyway. Mm. So which, and then about eight o'clock in the morning, it slides off and it's gone and you have to start all <laughs> over again. Um, um, and also it's, I don't know, I think they're both exhausting. They're both exhausting uh, to keep your concentration during filming. Theatre, you can get into more of a rhythm and have your life more once you've opened yes rehearsals i mean i haven't done half as much as you have but rehearsals well, you know and yes and learning but once you've up and opened i mean the, the biggest show i've ever done was a musical on broadway and once we'd opened yeah and i'd got over the absolute fear which yeah. took probably a couple of months oh easy i mean yeah but then you get onto a kind of lovely kind of pathway of Freedom. You can work out, yeah, because you yeah. know the part so well. You're the nerves of you're always a little bit nervous before you go up, but mm. you get onto a rhythm and you start experimenting things. But you've got your day to do what you want to do, and you go home at night and sleep in the same. You know, it's yeah. there's a kind of comfort in that. I think yes, whereas I've, filming is much more um, jagged and all over the place, isn't it? Yes, yes, and it is all over the place, and it's. It's it's hard because I don't think I'll, 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 I'll enjoy doing the one and while I'm doing that, I would like to be doing the other. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> true. Don't you think that's true of all actors? I think so, probably. I think so. But also the other lovely thing you get, if you're in a hit play or show, mm. which you've been in many, many, the reward you get from the audience is, I mean, that that adrenaline buzz is amazing, isn't it? And you don't yeah. get that on film because... You, yeah, you can't hear it. You can't... You, there's no reaction. You can't... And, and the... The great thing about being on stage is that you can actually listen to an audience, even though there's, you can feel it when it's when the audience is either getting bored or confused, or they're with you or they're not with you. Uh, um, you can have that. You're all in the same room and you're all experiencing the same thing together. And it's just as a performer, it's 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 great to to feel that energy coming back to you. And, mm. and on film, you don't have that. You just have to trust your own instinct. No, it's interesting that, that you're doing the same thing every night and it changes every night, doesn't every it? Every night. Amazing. And it always amazed me. And you're right, it's because of the reaction of the audience. It changes the air that you breathe and the way you perform. Absolutely. And I can remember nights when we that you kind of were in on in the air it was going so well and you'd think oh this is it we've got it now and the next night would be really flat so i call it hovercrafting so you just oh, yeah, just you're just yeah, like a, just above so it, you become it it becomes you yeah, it's isn't it's that amazing? it's like yeah it's like 
my mother once gave me a book called The Art of Archery, uh-huh. and which was about a man who went to Japan and decided to, to learn about Zen. And archery was one of the, the Zen, Zen practice. And it's a, it's a fascinating guidebook. She, she gave it to me deliberately for an actor. Because if you try too hard, you miss the target. If you, if you try too hard, <laughs> it's all that. It's that and that you have, it's really the target is you and you are the target. And so, oh, and that's how I feel about acting. If it, you mm-hmm. can actually organically feel that the whole thing is happening, but it's working to that point without pushing. You'd be brilliant doing like a masterclass. Have you yeah. ever done that? No. You would, because no. it's fascinating. Because I can't teach. You, I just, yes, you, well, but you know, you've got so much knowledge and information to pass on i just just listening to you i i think students would love it i don't know whether you'd love it but they would (laughs) i did one but that was because i knew what because the director had been so good so that i could pass that on to what's to to the students so that was easy that was relatively easy but no i wouldn't do it again i I would never be a director in a million years you have to deal with so many different personalities and different ways other people different ways people work the way they work, how they work. Um, and keeping everyone happy. <laughs> yeah, and, and involved, you know, not yeah. making everybody feel that they're not part of it. And, uh, yeah, there are very few of those directors around. Did you, because you, you've done quite a few plays on Broadway. Yes, four, and four, five. Oh, four, I know four. you did Electra. Did Electra, did Loot before that. Oh, Loot, that's right. And did Loot, which was at the Hat. We did it with the Manhattan Theatre Club with um, Alec Baldwin. And- yeah, no, no, first it, first it was Kevin, Kevin Bacon. Oh, okay. At the Manhattan Theatre Club. And then we went moved to Broadway and it was Alec Baldwin. He's lovely. He's mad. He's mad, great. but lovely. Mad. Good actor. Yes, <laughs> nuts. So did, did you notice the difference between the English you know, performing oh. on stage to the Americans? Yes, yes. Uh, I tell you, I mainly noticed it when I, did, I worked with, on, a, on a television film with American actors um, and the difference. I, I watched somebody steal a scene from me. <laughs> but my technique. <laughs> no, I, I didn't know it was happening, of course. I didn't know it was happening. <laughs> I had a pair of gloves in my hand. And I was had a speech to, to this gent, this guy, and uh, he took the glove from my hand. And I realised later that it meant that the camera had to turn on to him. Wow. Or he put a hand on my shoulder, which meant the camera had to move from me to him. And those little kind of tricks. Wow. So you think it was premeditated? Well, of course, you would have said it was, it was, you know, it was a, it's a, an American instinct to get the camera to, to go to you. <laughs> and, and, and I sort of thought, I mean, I'd never seen anything like that before. That was, it was stunning. And it just means, in a way, that it's a, a technique as well that we don't mm. know about because we're too generous as actors in, in England. Yeah. We I, don't it think is like that. It's, it's a different way of approaching things, isn't it? Totally. It's not the other about, thing I want to did you, you just mentioned it briefly, but um, my family, which was yeah. on telly for how many years? Eleven years or something? Something like that. Yeah, 
Uh, which is, I mean, it, it, they've rerun it recently. I don't yeah, know if you've been I watching it. I saw it's, one. I've never seen it And it, it really before. holds up. It's uh, you may the you and Bob Lindsay together. May there's bits in it. That I I got hysterical with laughter. You're yeah. so funny. Yeah. Did you love it? Because you know Fred Barron is one yes. of Lee and mine's old oldest friends. Yes. We met in LA and and um and actually I can remember when he was putting it together and he said um he rang us and said. I'd love to get this to Robert Lindsay. Do you happen to know? You know, Lee's known Bob for years and years and years. Right. So we put them together, which is nice. So we have a little hand in it. Yes, <laughs> yes, that's great. Yeah. But it was such a joyous show. And so and it and well, I've always I I've I've always found Bob really, really funny. Mm. And um but the yeah. two of you were such lovely chemistry and the kid. It was just a lovely show, actually. Did you love doing it? Well, also the thing is, Robert's funny when he doesn't mean to be funny. That's what's funny. <laughs> <laughs> he also does the best double takes of anyone I've ever met. Uh, I think no? Judy Dench does it better. Oh, okay. I'm afraid that's Saint, interesting. Saint Jude is is can do double takes, but they oh, but but that's um, it's not a competition. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I remember when because I, I didn't really know Bob until I met Lee. Yeah. We went to see him in Me and My Gal on Broadway. Okay. Which sat, they had offered me to play the girl in that, and I was still doing my one and only, which is oh, sad. God. That would have been fun. Yeah. But anyway, we, when I finished and I came back to England and met Lee, and we, we went out and it was still running, so we went. And I remember he, he coming on stage in a scene where he'd been horse riding, and it's Again, one of the funniest things, you know, he's got bandy legs and he can't walk and his double and triple takes were just, they're oh. like old school, really. Like oh, of course. He's, but, but he's but the great thing about Bob is he's a red coat. He yeah. really is a red coat. <laughs> he is. He's, he loves it. He loves it. And I know. It was, and it was, um, so also, it must have been so much fun to do. Oh, no, it was, it was just too funny. And then having this beautiful cast as well with Chris Marshall and, and then Daniela Denby-Ashen. And little Gabriel, who's... It must have been really hard when you... I mean, I did a sitcom in America, but we only lasted a year. Oh. And um, and that I found that hard when it broke up, because it is like it is like a family. Yeah. yeah. So I can't imagine when that finished after 11 years. It must have been really well, quite hard. Well, after Fred had left, yeah, it became, it became a different animal anyway. Yeah. That's because true. I, I think it became... I mean, the great thing about Fred's scripts was they, were, they were, had irony. Mm. And I'm being brought up in, as an American um, on I Love Lucy and, yeah. and and Phil Silvers and Cheers and um, yeah. those kind of full of irony and ironic, naughty, uh, just witty. And the English don't have that same wit. It's always, it, it was always, I always thought, I've said this before, but I always thought sitting sitcom was meant sitting down comedy that you cause they used because I watched it. They came in and they sat down, um, and and <laughs> the, the the shows that I saw with I Love Lucy, it was active, very active, and yeah, people running around. And also the other thing was that uh, and they still hold up. I don't know whether you've watched an I Love Lucy recently, but no, uh, but I watched the film. He Silver. was a genius. Oh. Oh. The one where she has to advertise the cough mixture and it's got alcohol in and she gets drunker and drunker and drunker is, again, one of the funniest things I've ever seen. She was, she was, she was <laughs> incredible. I mean, she was incredible. 
but it's, it's so with when, once Fred sort of uh, I think it was about after three years Fred sort of left, and then as the series went on, the the creative team just got bigger and bigger and bigger and more and more English. So it changed. It changed the dynamics, didn't it? Totally. And yeah. and and my humour is not English humour. It's sort of Jewish humour. It's it's ironic. Which is, which is the best. Yeah, yeah. So and it's there was nothing Jewish about it at all. There was nothing funny. It just became a setup and a gag and a setup and a gag. And I think mm-hmm. it got more and more um, difficult. And it ended up um, by them saying things like, uh, "Well, what would you, what do you think you would say?" Oh, okay. No, I'm not a writer. I can't do that. And they, of course, asked Robert, and Robert had you know hundreds of ideas. <laughs> Um, um, but then when it gets to that, then it's no longer... Mind you, 11 years isn't bad, is it? Was yeah, it 11 it was, years? It was something like that, on and off 11 years, because we never knew when it was going to be picked up again, which was great for me because then I could do a, a play or something. Yeah, lovely. Which was great. Yes. So I could... And I, I, I meant to ask you at the beginning, as you're having tea with me, do you drink tea? Oh, yes, yeah, sometimes. I just don't happen to have any in the, in the, um, in, in the apartment as yet. Okay. You're allowed. <laughs> yes, I, I like herbal teas. Oh, do like you? Mm, yeah, actually, I've got a lemon and ginger at the moment. Nice. But, um, yes. I don't drink coffee. I don't like it. it gives me gives me heartburn. Oh, well, but, there you go. Um, and palpitations. <laughs> That's not good. Of the wrong sort. But <laughs> um, but I like my builder's tea in the morning. Nice. With milk and honey. Very good. And then I go on to herbal. <laughs> Very nice. Yes. <laughs> well, it's been absolutely gorgeous. Oh, I know what I want to ask you before we go. I know we've got to wrap soon. But did you uh, have one person in your life? I mean, for me, the one person who changed my life was Ken Russell. So did you have somebody in your life that flicked a switch or? Yeah. Um, his name was Howard Davis. He was a director. And uh, and I first worked with him in Piaf uh, uh, at Stratford in 1976, um, no, 78. And he was the first person who gave me, actually gave me direction in the sense that he gave me um, a thought process, an attitude. And that was, I had always worried, what, what was I going to do with my hands? What was <laughs> it, my arms, and you know, still... But he made me think, and and I did my best work with him after that. And then I worked with him subsequently after that on, I don't know, about 10 shows I did with him. Mm. And I loved him. I think him. he liked you then. I think he liked <laughs> me too. And we liked <laughs> each other. And also because I understood his language. It's all about language directing. Yeah. And it's opening the doors, unlocking this door of imagination which is always, that's what a director is supposed to help you do. Because also, don't you think it's also to, for, well, for me because I was so insecure and mm. not knowing if I could do it. It's giving you confidence. If you, exactly. if you think that's somebody that you admire, like I did with Ken, as mad mm. as he was, I, yeah. I really admired him. Yeah. And if you trust and admire the people who trust you, exactly, it's amazing the confidence yeah. it gives you. And that must have been the same with Howard Davis and you. Yeah, yeah. And you, they, in a way, you have to. They have to earn their trust. I mean, uh, you know, it's a challenge 
is because I have to learn to trust that person's judgment okay. because yeah. when I know it's crap, then well, the, I say on the other side of the coin, if you don't respect somebody or don't think they're very good, you don't trust them, do you? No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. And that's the sad part. You know, there are not enough of them about. It's so, and then there's another director I really enjoy working with, but he was a completely different animal, but I understand some of his language. So I can pick mm-hmm. up on his imagery. But there's, you know, but there was another actor who said, I don't understand what you're talking about. I can't, I can't. You know, I can't do what you're yeah, it's asking. It's very, very personal, isn't it? It is. Um, mm. And I think that's, it's more difficult, even more so in film and television, because a lot of directors don't really know what actors are. They know what the camera looks like. Yeah, that's, well, that's true. Um, but um, don't you think some of the best, certainly, film directors are people who've, who've done some acting? That helps, yes. Because they kind of understand the process and the problems. And... Yeah. Oh, they're few and far between, though. But, 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 uh, but it's always interesting to meet a new director and, and to actually find out, because that's half the energy is taken up by actually understanding the language yeah. that, that, the, the, that your, your maestro is supposed to help you with, make you be- look good, make you look fantastic, make yeah. you feel fantastic. I'd say it's giving, giving you the confidence to go on and do yeah. what you do. Yeah. I made, him, I made Howard laugh. <laughs> Which is always a sign of. Well, of, you of, are you are very funny, Mister <laughs> But I didn't mean to make him laugh. <laughs> Listen, I hope the play is joyous for you. I'm sure oh, it'll be too. a huge success. What what date do you open? We start on the 21st of June, Okey-dokey. and we go in tandem with uh, Sheila Atim and Ivano Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. Um, in and then we finish. We're doing it in rep with them. Yeah. And then we finish uh, on the 24th of July. Brilliant. Uh, and I think it's brilliant because maybe this is the beginning of theatres oh, being able to open. Please that's one God. of the reasons for doing it. Yeah. Well, God bless you. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's lovely to talk to you. And, and you, Joe. He sends you a big kiss. And Thank you very much. Get one back. I will send our love to Gorn. I'll tell you. Lovely, him. lovely, gorgeous Gorn. Yes. The legend. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we can, well, after... And middle of June, we're all allowed to yeah. do anything. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's see. Here's so, hoping. The only thing you know for sure is the present tense, and that's we have to live that. That's true. Yeah. I love you lots. And you too, John. It's so lovely to talk to you. And you too, thank you. Good luck with the play. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was fabulous talking to Zoe. She's she's one of a kind, is Miss Wanamaker. If you want to get tickets, which I encourage you to do, her play opens on June the 21st at the Vaudeville. It's called Constellations. And it's fabulous because it means this is one of the first plays to reopen after the lockdown and um, be nice to support it. So if you can get a ticket, grab one. Okay, I'll see you next week. Bye. If this is your first time listening to Tea with Twiggy, please do remember to tell your friends. You can also subscribe for free on your podcast app and listen to all my previous guests. If you want to connect with me, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Twiggy or you can find me on Instagram at Twiggy Lawson. My thanks go to all the people that have helped this podcast happen. Many thanks to James Carroll and all the team at North Bank Talent Management. 
Thanks to all the team at Stripped Media, including Ben Williams, who edits the show, my producer, Kobe Omanaka, and executive producers, Tom Wally and Dave Corkery. The music you can hear now is my version of Waterloo Sunset by The Kinks. If you'd like to hear the whole song, you can find it and all the other songs I've recorded on iTunes and Spotify. So check it out. I look forward to you joining me for my next episode. So see you then. Bye. You just heard a stripped media production. 